Pun? Okay, great. All right. Mm -hmm. And I'm, we're, we're going to keep kind of tap dancing until this works. Okay. So 45 <laughs> minutes later, we may have gotten <laughs> absolutely nowhere uh, on this Sunday. Well, um, so this is normally when Brian asks me what I did or how my week was, and then I get annoyed with him oh. uh, because I never have a good answer. So I'm going to ask you. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> Um, I'm annoyed. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's the end of it. Yeah. Well, and, and since he, he and I see each other so, so much, just tell me about, give me like one thing that's been great about 2020 for you, putting you completely on the spot. What's been great? Great about 2020 for me. Um, other than the fact that I wish 2020 was done and over and gone. Uh, <laughs> it's only two months left, yeah. Um, honestly, 2020 has been a time, uh, there's been challenges like everything, and everybody's gone through troubles and challenges and all of that. But I've also really grown, I think, as a pastor in 2020. I don't just get by on preaching anymore. You might know that from music. You, you have to adapt and be what you have to serve the church however the church needs to be served so the reason that's so good for me is it's helped me relax a lot in 2020. Sharon is that true? It is true. Yeah, is yeah. I don't yeah. spend all week worrying about that sermon and needing to be perfect and or you know not that I ever was as much as I <laughs> I realize the church is a family it's a it's a community and I think 2020, I have felt more than ever in the last 20 years or so that my church really loves me as Ken, not as Pastor Ken, or, but they, they love me for all the, whatever I go through, they're there just like I want to be there for them. So it's been a good, good for me. It's a good, we were talking earlier just about the mm -hmm. opportunities that God has given us to learn yeah. this year in areas that we just never anticipated having to learn or you in, you thought about it and said i'll get there eventually you guys still yeah. working all right mm -hmm. and i know i'm going to have to trade turn you places on. what's that did you turn your light on? I, I did turn it on I'll, I'll turn it on again it, it's possible i guess it can shut itself off it did it shut itself off <laughs> <laughs> I it, it was on i promise you you know you know <laughs> Yeah, uh, God is good. Um, you know, we, we held this church, uh, well, as we were trying to get ramped up for online, we held something so precious. And um, it's wonderful that we know that, as you said, that people love you for who you are, yeah. not uh -huh. necessarily for what you try to present uh, as a facade or anything along those lines. Mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. Cool. Yeah. So we have that. Yes. Excellent. Um, how about that one back there? That's my problem. Don't worry about it. Don't waste any time on that. Um, it's fine. Let's just keep going. It's uh, timing is excellent. So I, I, this is the point in the ser uh, sermon, point in the service when Brian would tell us a little bit about what he's going to talk about today. Okay. So. Yeah. Well, um, today we're going to look at the book of Second Timothy, which is uh, one of the books that Paul wrote, and it's called the pastor a pastoral epistle. Because generally speaking, it gives a lot of instruction about the church and how to lead it and what the church should be and all, all of that good stuff. And um, as I thought about it, not, not completely isolated from the fact the elections are coming up, I thought, and promise won't say anything more, <laughs> but um, really what we're dealing with as, as a public is leadership. And I thought to myself, that comes around every four years, and sometimes we switch it. And 
it's always changing, and even we don't even always know if we're hearing what, we, what the truth is. I mean, it's, it's just really crazy. And I thought to myself uh, how important it is to be a leader and to develop uh, leaders, and, and I mean everybody from moms and dads to teachers to pastors in the, in the church, in the people of God. And so I went to one of those books of the Bible in 2 Timothy where Paul, uh, in chapter uh, 3, it will be today, uh, simply talks to us about uh, some qualities that we can develop of being good leaders and, and of setting a good example. And um, just a few things about that. Yeah. Mm -hmm. All right, 2 Timothy is one of my favorite. Uh, yeah. So I'm looking forward to it. Um, so if you don't mind doing a quick prayer, then I'll start us on worship. All right, thank you. Gracious King, uh, you are the leader and you are our leader and we worship you. We love you and find you beautiful and tender-hearted and kind. And we thank you for uh, saving us and loving us and, and calling us together and then honoring us to be your bride. And uh, we love you this morning. We come to you this morning asking for the presence of your Holy Spirit to uh, fill this place, to fill us and everyone who is watching this that we would hear as we should hear and think as we should think. Forgive us for our sins. Relieve us of guilt and shame and give us uh, an absolute certainty of the depth of your love for us. And uh, today, if you would bless us so, let us even follow you, O King, a little closer perhaps than we did yesterday. And we ask these things in your name to our Father in heaven, amen. Thank you. Mm -hmm. Now, for those of you, uh, well, all of you, um, because I don't have the monitor back there, I may cheat back here every once in a while to make sure that the lyrics are showing up. I did check ahead of time. I did. I did check ahead of time. And, uh, and Ken, your prayer was perfect for this song. And that that's a God is working, the Spirit is already moving. Let's, uh, let's go ahead and pray as Pastor Ken joins us. Father, we are stubborn people. We are foolish and flawed and arrogant and so many other things that, Lord, I, I just pray as we praise you this morning that, that you just lay upon us peace and wisdom and discernment, wisdom and discernment. Oh, Father, that we, as a reflection of you, would show the world in this time what it means to lead and to love and to lead with love, to care and to protect, Father, that we every facet of our lives, families, communities, 
the areas where we influence, Lord, that we would be loving leaders just as you are. In the name of your son, Jesus, we pray. Amen. Joe, um, again, thank you so much for having me uh, here today. And uh, am I all on and okay? Great. I'm used to people talking to me and waving at me and stopping me when I'm not turned on and all that. So don't be shy. Uh, it is wonderful, wonderful to be, to be back here uh, at Open Door. I was here the day Brian started. I've been here for uh, different, different events and things throughout it. I love your pastor. He has become a, a very dear friend of mine. I, I met him at Western Seminary. And uh, so it's just a treat that every, everything's aligned so that I actually, instead of back in Portland at my church, at Grace Church in downtown Portland, I actually get to be here uh, with you. But Grace Church is here with you today. There, I've invited them. So you may not know it, but you're kind of a church merge for the next 45 minutes or so. So enjoy it. Uh, <laughs> it's wonderful to be here. Again, my name is Ken Garrett. I'm here with my wife, Sharon. And... Um, May God bless us as we open his word today and consider what it has to say to us and, uh, uh, and, and, and explore this. Of course, this week has been an interesting week leading up to the election, which comes on Tuesday. And uh, that's a pretty important day, but not as important as the fact to me that Sharon's birthday is on Tuesday. So that's, that's kind of cool. Yeah, uh-huh. <laughs> Well, it'll be on Tuesday, but um, it's great because she gets to spend the entire day watching election returns with me. And that, no, <laughs> no, we're not going to do that. But what a day, what a, what a week and what a year it has been. And uh, Joe's question to me was so good. What, what's God's, basically it was what God has been doing. And, and uh, I feel blessed to be a Christian. I don't think I've ever felt as grateful to just be called by the name of Christ as this year. And it's not because anybody was shoving me around about that or anything, but just uh, life slowing down and not engaging in the culture as much. It made me think a lot and um, been a hard year. And, and I suppose for all of us, four people in our church have had COVID. Um, I don't know how you've been affected or not. They, but it hasn't run through our church as much as outside of it people got it, and, and they have all survived. We thank the Lord for that, and, you know, we're, we're doing our best to play by all the rules, too, and uh, look out for everybody. Also, this year, though, my daughter came back from Kazakhstan, where she was stuck for a while after COVID started, and uh, because of her job, she teaches there, and, and uh, so she came home in June. It's been wonderful to have her and I have two new grandchildren in, two, in 2020. And uh, it's so easy to think of COVID, 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 that you don't think, oh, yeah, and two new grandchildren, one that's going to be born in a couple of weeks, one that was born in June. So lots of wonderful things. And also, my father uh, went to be with the Lord just two weeks ago after a long illness uh, that, that gave our family a few years, really, of interacting, of knowing where this was going, and uh, he entered hospice and, the, and uh, was called home to the Lord and my mother um, um, within a couple of days of that. Um, and those are the things that when I 
say I feel loved by my church and my relationship has been strengthened. That's what I'm thinking because I've been cared for by them and uh, um, treated so graciously. So what a year, huh? And this Tuesday, of course, we will finally come to the election, which, which I, I imagine we're all a little tired of hearing about uh, constantly and which polls you follow and, and all of the craziness that's going on. And um, you probably, you might even be tired of being told that you need to vote <laughs> because you probably already have. <laughs> you mailed it in or whatever. So... Um, it will conclude then, but it, it got me thinking, and regardless of who you favor or who you're voting for, it, it got me thinking about the place of character in the life of leadership, and it's important in the church. But as I thought about this a little more deeply, I realized, you know, God's plan here isn't to just select, you know, certain gifted people and to say, leader, 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 leader. That makes us all followers. And um, even John Chrysostom, an ancient, ancient, ancient preacher in the church, he preached in modern-day uh, uh, Istanbul, in Con Constantinople, I guess it was called then, and he was known as one of the greatest preachers, and even he wrote a book about being a pastor, and he said that one of the bottom-line things we have to remember as pastors is that we're sheep. We are all part of a flock, and we're sheep. So I started thinking about that and thinking Paul's words to Timothy and 2 Peter, really apply to all of us. If you are raising a child, if you are caring for anyone, if you're looking out for your family, if you're at work and you have people uh, working for you, I mean, any situation you and I have where we are expressing our desires and our will and helping to move things in a certain direction with people, we are leading, and I, and I want to generalize what I'm saying out that, that far today, remembering that this is Paul writing to Timothy about being a pastor, and yet it's going to apply to us today, and, and let's, just, let's just see if it does. I'm hoping, I'm hoping it will. Um, we're speaking today from 2 Timothy in the third chapter, uh, a 10-second review of 2 Timothy goes like this. In the first chapter, Paul reports to Timothy. He's writing to him. Uh, here's what's going on in my life. In the second chapter of the book, Paul is, is teaching Timothy, here's what you need to be as a leader. In the third chapter, Paul is saying to Timothy, here's what's coming, and here's what you need to prepare for. And then in the fourth chapter, which might be one of the, the tenderest, most uh, beautiful chapters in the Bible. I don't know if you, it's hard to even read it without being emotionally moved. Paul is saying, my time has come to a close. Uh, I, I am not soon for this world. So it's a very emotional book. It's one of the last ones, if not the last one that Paul wrote. And uh, the whole thing is, and this is one of the greatest leaders of the church, greatest leaders of the Christian church, written by a man on death row in prison. How we forget that, how, how we slide by that, but he's writing to Timothy from prison, and part of what he's asking him is to bring him some reading material, a cloak, it's cold, and, uh, and wondering if he could possibly come before winter. I don't know if Paul was thinking his days were that numbered or if he needed that cloak before winter, but this is a real person, and he is, is, is a leader writing to Timothy. 
Today we're going to be speaking, I'm going to speak from chapter 3, which is where Paul tells Timothy what's going on. And it's only 16 verses. I'm going to read the, read the whole thing, and Paul's going to warn about the nature of the church and Christian ministry in the days to come. And uh, then I will just focus in and say a few things about verses 10 through 13, where Paul uh, speaks about an example that he has set for Timothy. So, with your leave, I will, I will read this, and, uh, and then we'll dive right, in, right into the text. Paul writes this in, in chapter 3, verse 1. But realize this, that in the last days, difficult times will come. For men will be lovers of self, lovers of money, boastful, arrogant, revilers, disobedient to parents, ungrateful, unholy, unloving, irreconcilable, malicious gossips without self-control, brutal, haters of good, treacherous, reckless, conceited, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, holding to a form of godliness although they have denied its power. Avoid such men as these, for among them are those who enter into the households of, and captivate weak women weighed down with sins led on by various impulses, always learning and never able to come to the knowledge of the truth. Just as Janus and Jambres opposed Moses, so these men also oppose the truth. Men of depraved mind, rejected in regard to the faith, but they will not make further progress. For their folly will be obvious to all, just as Janus's and Jambres' folly was also. Now, you followed my teaching, conduct, purpose, faith, Patience, love, perseverance, persecutions and sufferings such as happened to me at Antioch and Iconium and at Lystra, what persecutions I endured. And out of them all, the Lord rescued me. Indeed, all who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. But evil men and impostors will proceed from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived. You, however, continue in the things you have learned and become convinced of, knowing from whom you have learned them, and that from childhood you have known the sacred writings which are able to give you the wisdom that leads to salvation through faith which is in Christ Jesus. All Scripture is inspired by God and profitable for teaching and reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness, so that the man of God may be adequate, equipped for every good work. Gracious Father, this is the text of Scripture that, we, that you have brought before us today. And um, we are lost without you. We are lost in our understanding. We are unable to make heads or tails of it if your Holy Spirit is not uh, taking this word, transforming it into shapes and ideas and, and uh, concepts that fit the key to the lock of the human heart. We need a personal application. Every single person here, every person hearing this, we need the Spirit to teach us. So now, 
Father, now, at now, at this moment, uh, teach us from your word. In the name of our dear King, amen. The big idea today that I'm going to be speaking about is this. Christians live according to the truths of their faith. And they seek to express that truth by godly character. And they are willing to suffer for their faith. There's three ideas there in that sentence I just said. It's this, Christians live by a specific truth. And Christians allow that truth to form their character. And they also seek to express that character in how they treat people, in the words that they say with one another, the way they treat their families, their friends, their neighbors, the people at church. Um, they seek to be different according to the truth that they believe. You know, in the end, everybody can say, anybody can say anything to make themselves look a certain way, but when you get to know a person, you know the truth that they live by. I used to be a paramedic, and sometimes we'd work 24-hour shifts, but then as things changed and got busier in Portland, we would work 12 hours or 10-hour shifts, and you sit in a cab of an ambulance with somebody for 12 hours, uh, you, within a short amount of time, you know what truth drives their lives. You know what's important to them. Well, Christians are always seeking, although it's difficult and we seem to slide around on this a lot, but we're always seeking for the truth of God's word and the truth of our faith to be kept and held in the center of our hearts. And, and then we seek to live by it. And the way we live, I'm going to describe it just a couple of ways today as we, as we break this down a little bit, but it's through character and integrity. Character and integrity. By character, I just mean the, the, uh, the usual response that you make to the world around you. A godly character is not a perfect character. Uh, you know, the way you express your Christian faith isn't being perfect whenever you're perfect, but if you're ever not perfect because you sin or you get angry or you do, do whatever you do when you blow it, then you're not a Christian anymore. Of course not. You are a learner and you are a growing Christian and you're not growing if you're not blowing it once in a while and coming back to your Lord, your King. So I'm going to talk about character and that's what I mean by it. And then I also might use the word integrity. Integrity is an interesting word. It's, it's in the boating world a lot. To be a, a boat with integrity simply means it doesn't leak. <laughs> it means that there's, you know, you're not going to get out in the middle of the bay and one of the boards goes boing and, and you're figuring out what to do while you wait for the Coast Guard or something. Integrity means watertight. And, but, and what that means in its application to us today as we live our Christian lives in this uh, crazy world that we live in, as best I can see it, it comes down to this. What you say is what you do. You keep your word. You've made promises in your life, and you keep those promises. That's what it means to be uh, a person of integrity. Uh, if you hire somebody in my neighborhood, all of the houses, it's an old Portland neighborhood, and all of the houses were poured with a kind of concrete for the foundation that kind of turns into like cottage cheese after a hundred years or so. <laughs> and so there's always trucks around my neighborhood trying to fix the, the houses because of the integrity of that foundation and the fact that Portland is built on about 50,000 streams run, running under it. But what they're looking for is integrity in the person fixing the house. We know the foundation leaks, but we want 
people to work for us who will do what they say they're going to do for the price they say they're going to do it. A Christian lives according to what he, he or she believes and then follows that. That's called integrity. It's consistency and it's built over time. And then finally, there's the issue that Paul brings into it of suffering. Indeed, all who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution. And as if that weren't enough, you might say to yourself, man, Ken, you could have found a better sentence to end this sermon on today. <laughs> Everybody's going to keep suffering. And if that weren't enough, the ones who cause the suffering, the evil men, Paul calls, calls them evil men and imposters, they're going to go from bad to worse. That's where Paul leaves us uh, this morning. So the first thing I see in it is this example that Paul gives us um, to follow. And he lists a, a, a few ideas here. I'll just kind of fly through them, and I don't want to get caught up on any one of them. Uh, the lists of Paul in the Bible can really, really mess you up if you, if you dive in a little too deep, too fast. The first thing Paul says is, now you followed my teaching. Paul says this, and it actually breaks down this way into the, from the language itself that Paul wrote it in. He's speaking in contrast in contrast to the people that followed a couple of characters called Janus and Jambres. A Jewish tradition and history accounts that those two men, they were magicians, and, and in this context, in, ancient, in the ancient world, to be a magician was really to be a religious leader. It was to give the appearance of commanding unseen spiritual powers that others couldn't, and, you, and that, that's what a magician was. It wasn't just, you know, like today, pulling bunnies out of hats and, and, and things like that. Janus and Jambres were very prominent magicians in the court of Pharaoh. And they were mimicking, remember, the plagues that Moses was bringing in on and all the miracles? They were mimicking those things to try to keep people uh, away from acknowledging God, but also certainly to keep these people enslaved. And Paul has just described these kinds of people in a number of verses with, oh, that list, oh, ungrateful, unloving, disobedient to parents. And all of those words in there, you can go back and look at this, they are all modified by the one statement that you'll find a couple verses into it, having an appearance of godliness. Is that what it says? An appearance of godliness, but denying its power. Here's what this tells me. I don't go to the newspaper to find out who these men are, and I don't look at uh, uh, basically secular history and look at the civilizations of the world. These are spiritual leaders. And Paul says, as the days unfold in the church, these are the kind of corrupt people that will be attacking the church, Timothy. So when he goes up to where we're starting today and says, but you followed my teaching, that's really what he means by it. But you, Timothy, followed my teaching not these kinds of guys. The first thing this tells me as I'm looking at influencing people's lives or having any kind of leadership is that my example and the examples I follow have everything to do with where I end up. His teaching was something Timothy could follow. And we know what Paul taught. He taught the truths that he'd grown up with as a Jewish man studying the Old Testament scriptures. But the real difference is that Paul said, those truths that I grew up studying, they all pointed to that man that was crucified in Jerusalem, Jesus Christ. And that's what got him in trouble. 
And if that weren't enough, what Paul taught was grace. And as a matter of fact, you don't have to become a Jew to be saved. And you don't have to keep the requirements of the law. So this is Paul's teaching. And this is what Timothy followed um, from Paul. That was his teaching. Paul's lifestyle was good. He says, you followed my conduct. That's basically just his way of life. That means that Timothy didn't just see Paul on on Saturday synagogue services or Sunday meetings or whenever, that Timothy, as we know he did this, he traveled with Paul. He lived with him. He saw how Paul related. Not just in religious discussions. He saw Paul how Paul acted to people in the restaurants, <clears throat> to people on the side of the road. He saw how Paul acted around Roman soldiers that might make him carry his bags at any time they wanted to. And he heard what Paul said about those people after they weren't there. He knew, Paul, you followed my conduct, you followed my purpose. In other words, you knew the goal of my life that I lived by. That's why Paul later recounted his life and he said, I don't, what did he say in, the, in Acts chapter 20? I don't consider my life of any account as dear to myself so that I can finish my course and the ministry which I received from the Lord Jesus to testify solemnly of the gospel of the grace of God. Timothy saw that that's how Paul lived his life. Paul said, you also followed my faith. And this doesn't just mean you became a Christian too. You followed my beliefs. And you followed my loyalty. That faith means those things too. And Paul isn't saying, yeah, you also believed in the same doctrine as I. We know Paul that earlier that Timothy followed Paul's doctrine. But Timothy followed with a view toward emulating the loyalty that Paul had for his God to where Timothy watched this man suffering. And remember, he's writing it from prison. He followed Paul's patience, the long-suffering. You've probably heard this. The word means the word comes from a Greek word, macrothumia. And uh, it's, a, it's one of those great words in Greek that you just, it, not only is it fun to say, everybody, macrothumia. Sorry I made you do that. What, <laughs> what it means, though, is macro, big, large, thumia, which has to do with temperature. We get ther, uh, you know, ther, thermos from that. So long-suffering is the old English word that comes from it, but what it means with is you put up with a lot for a long time and you don't blow your lid. That tells me that in all of their ministry together, there must have been a lot of times when Paul and Timothy and Luke and whoever was with them, when things would happen and Timothy... And, and it, it would be something bad, something offensive, something insulting. Perhaps Paul was being arrested. Perhaps he was being opposed. I mean, all of the things that happened to the man. That tells me that there were a lot of times that Timothy was probably sitting on the side thinking, I wonder if he's going to really blow his stack here. I mean, I, I, my dad never would have put up with that. I, you know, my, my mom wouldn't put up with that. I can't believe And What's he doing? You know, sometimes he receives these beatings and everything, and other times he's fleeing town, and then other times he's saying, well, wait a minute, I'm a Roman citizen. I mean, what, how can I figure this guy out? All I know is he never mistreated anybody. He follows in the footsteps of Jesus. You never see Jesus snapping at anybody, do you? Never see him getting angry or lashing out. Uh, 
even turning over the tables in the in the temple i've gone back in those texts and looked at them because i grew up always thinking jesus got mad he turned over the tables find me something in the text that tells you jesus was mad and then explain to me why he was mad when he was just there the night before looking at the same tables and everything what i'm saying is jesus didn't blow his cool and relate in anger or hostility toward people he could still turn over their tables without getting in their face and hurting them. Paul himself was also of such control. You followed my macrothumia. I did not lose it when I was offended or mistreated or angry. Man, we need to learn that today. People in our country, because of the magic of multimedia coverage, that I mean, the magic that I'm speaking into this great looking camera right there and there's people out there that the message goes up and then it comes down and they are i hope drinking coffee and having some breakfast or something and watching well nowadays we have a lot of christians that say a lot of things using that that are angry and that are ugly and that almost presume to speak as if they're speaking for all 350,000 churches in America. <laughs> and they're mad. And yet our faith is much more selective of what we get mad about. You know the only time in the Bible that Jesus is, is, is portrayed as losing it, being indignant, was when his own disciples weren't letting little children come up and run to him. That's the only place you'll find it. So Timothy followed Paul who was following Jesus for a lot longer, in being macrothumia, in not losing it and being angry. Well, it says you followed my love. Paul was a man of love. This means that, and it's, it's great to find people described as loving when we look at the Bible, because, oops, am I staying in my thing? <laughs> I'm a wanderer. Um, it's great to find people described as loving, because, of course, any of us that we start studying the Bible and doing word studies and everything, we learn the word agape, agape, oh, I love, and we learn that it is a, uh, a choice love, a wonderful, uh, simple choice love that God makes toward you and I, but not in a cold way, in a way that seeks our betterment and our love and our, 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 our blessing, okay? It's good when it's that described, though, people, Paul, love. The example that Tim, Timothy followed was of Paul, his friend and his, his leader, loving people. This tells me that when Paul came across people and spoke to them and got to know them, his first intention, his first inclination was how their life could be made better by him. I don't know, sometimes it was through working with them in the tent-making business, Sometimes it was through healing them. Sometimes it was through driving out a demon. Sometimes it was through saying, hey, you guys, come around here and have something to eat. Your power's totally gone. You're tired. Whatever. Paul lived with a sense of blessing and treating with kindness and love those who were around him. And Paul says, Timothy, you followed that example. You see how I'm all describing and speaking here of character qualities? These aren't qualities that we see a lot uh, from our political candidates or our bosses on the job or, or anybody. 
And I don't blame them for it. When Paul wrote these words, the emperors of Rome were, were not the greatest moral characters in the world. Uh, they generated a lot more headlines than a, than a quiet, well-behaved Christian. Um, but they didn't love. And Paul doesn't expect them to love. Paul expects that Christians would love. And he set that example for Timothy to follow. It means something as simple as you care to learn the name of that kid that makes you your cappuccino or, I guess, pumpkin latte, if that's what you're doing this time of the year. Not me. Uh, but you care enough to learn that kid's name so that the next time you come in, you write it down, you pray for him, you know you're not going to sit there and pull out a tract and share the four spiritual laws with, while the ten people behind you wait for their coffee. But you know what? You pray for that kid, you remember his name, so that the next time you'll greet him by name and you'll trust God to begin a, a, a relationship where you actually love that kid and you'll leave him a tip. <laughs> but you love people. It's from there all the way to the difficult child, the family member we're not getting along with, the, the troublesome boss at work, the employee that just can't get it right. And you think through how you as a Christian have been especially designed by God to express love and tenderness and concern for that person. Timothy watched Paul doing that. Well, Things weren't all so loving and easy for Paul, though. He says, you followed my perseverance, my persecutions, and my sufferings. I keep saying my, my, my before all these words. In the text, that's how it works out. But the Greeks didn't use so many words as we do. They just said it once, and you knew that it applies to all of them. It's my persecutions, uh, my sufferings, my perseverance. Uh, that means simply bearing up under a, under a hard load. And then Paul gives an example of what it looks like in Antioch. Antioch's uh, um, Pisidia, it's, it's in the middle of Turkey, and it's a place where Paul went there. He preached the gospel and he ministered, and then a, and then a, a, a conspiracy was started to drive him out of town, and they drove him out of town. Prominent Jewish uh, leaders <clears throat> and women of the city were convinced that the gospel was bad for the city, they drove him away. And then Paul went on to the next town called Iconium. And at that, at that place in I, Iconium, another plot was discovered to do him harm as he began to preach. And the primary thing he was preaching is, God loves you. You don't have to keep rules to be saved. You keep rules and show how you love God. But you know what? Jesus Christ kept all the rules, died for your sins, and you trust him for that now. And they ran him out of town. So he ended up in the next town, Iconium. And he said, you remember these things, Timothy. It's funny, Timothy wasn't actually with Paul at those things yet. But he'd heard about them, and then he went to those cities with Paul later. So they all knew what had happened, especially strange at this place called uh, Lystra. Paul showed up, and uh, it was a little more backward town, so they, they weren't quite on the main roads of the Romans and the Greeks. And they were more of a tribal people, and they immediately saw Paul... And uh, Barnabas, they healed a man miraculously, and they decided Paul and Barnabas were gods, loved them. And then, um, I think some Jews, enemies showed up, 
and uh, convinced the crowds that Paul and Barnabas were actually making fools out of them. They dragged Paul out of ground, stoned him to death, throwing stones at him, rendered him unconscious, left him for dead, and then went back into the town. Paul came to, woke up, and went back into the town and left the next day for a 60-mile trip to the next town after being unconscious from a head injury. And he said, Timothy, you have observed and you know these things um, that I have been through, what things I've been through. And I think this is the most important part, rather than the war stories that Paul could tell. He says, and out of them all the Lord delivered me. His point isn't to tell Timothy, look at all the special things God does for me. This happens, this happens, this happens, and God just keeps delivering me. Wow. His point is saying, Timothy, you're going to have to develop dependence on God. The only thing that can deliver you is the work of the Lord in your ministry. This is the pattern. This is the example that Paul was, was setting, one of deep, deep dependence uh, on Christ. Now, those are the character qualities that Paul is setting out using himself as an example. Here's what it means to lead. Here's what it means to be in this crazy thing called ministering and following, ministering for Christ and, and following him. Then he goes on to the bad news, as if that wasn't bad enough. He goes on and says, evil men, or he says, all uh, who desire to follow Christ, all who desire to be godly in Christ, will suffer persecution. But evil men and imposters will proceed from bad to worse. Those seeking to live godly. Those seeking to live according to that big long list I just went through. Paul seems to be saying that will get you in trouble. I don't understand all the ways it gets you in trouble. It seems crazy to me that anybody would ever persecute or suffer, somebody, or, or cause to suffer somebody who lives such a wonderful life as that, but they do, and we know that. He calls them evil men and imposters. I don't understand why, but some people are wired in such a way. They suffer, they suffer in such a way, I think, and it forms them, but then they also carry beliefs in such a way that they go out to hurt Christians that are trying to live uh, godly in Christ. So, my first question, everybody has a little bit of cowardice in them, so my first question is, how can I avoid that? <laughs> I'm not really wanting that. There, are, there is a way to, to avoid it. I found it. John Stott, a great, he's passed on, a great Christian uh, preacher and teacher, he, he said some interesting things about avoiding suffering. He said, and, and they're, 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 they're related to in this sentence, he said, if you are in the world, but not in Christ, Christian, you will not suffer. If you're in the world, but not in Christ, you won't suffer. And what he's meaning by that is you just blend in and get along. You keep that Christian faith, you know, in church on Sunday where it belongs, and uh, maybe Christmas and Easter, and, and then just go live in the world the way the world lives. You're not going to suffer. But then he goes on, though, Stott, and he says this. He says, if you are in Christ but not in the world, you will not suffer. That surprised me a little bit. If you are in Christ, and by that he simply means living your Christian life and believing and studying and praying and participating in the church, all the things we Christians do, but not in the world, 
you won't suffer. Why is that? Well, why would you? You're not causing any trouble for the world. You're not in the world anyway. You have withdrawn from that kid that makes your coffee. You don't care. You have withdrawn from those ungodly friends and relatives or associates or whatever, the ones that just don't believe like you or don't believe in Christ and that they are committing more moral sin than you possibly could even imagine, you pull back from them. They're in the world. You have nothing to do with them. Those crazy whatever you believe. If you're a Democrat, you say those crazy, harsh, bad Republicans. If you're Republicans, you say those nutty Democrats. I mean, you, you point at the other, the world, and you pull back from them. In Christ, you're fine. You believe in Jesus. You become a Christian. You read your Bible. But that filthy, stinking world out there, you pull back from it. You know what? You won't suffer. You won't suffer. You won't be where God's working. And you won't be with the people that he loves enough to save, but you won't suffer. But if you seek to be in Christ and to live in Christ, fused in your faith in a relationship with this magnificent person, Jesus, while at the same time having a foot in the world, with all the hoi polloi, that means the great crowds, all those people that don't believe like you believe, that do the things that tick you off, that make all But you stick with them and you love them and you learn their names and you care about them. You're in them. You're in it with them. You're in the world. You're in Christ. And you're in the world. Paul promises you trouble. Because these kinds of men that he's described, imposters, phonies and fakes, evil men, he says that they will proceed from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived. This is an interesting... Am I okay on time, by the way? Because I didn't see the clock, but... I'm at 35. That's, that's great. Thank you. Thank you. Um, okay. He uses an interesting word here. He says they proceed from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived. It's a kind of a play on words that Paul says. What he means here, this is Ken Garrett's official translation. They keep getting better at being bad. <laughs> they keep getting better at being bad. So as bad as they were a hundred years ago, people opposing the church and opposing Christ, they keep getting better at it. They get better technology. They get better weapons. They get better whatever. And they get better at being bad. I wonder how much that explains how, not how difficult it is for us to speak about our relationship with Christ as Christians, but how hard it is to simply convince the world out there we're not as nutty as they think we are. I mean, you ever find that? It wasn't that way a hundred years ago. You believed in Christ and you followed him and you could preach and there would be a basic agreement of, okay, we, we will look at the Bible and we will hear your ideas and no, we don't think you're crazy. Now it's like, well, maybe you can't run for a political office if you believe the Bible because, I mean, we know you're crazy. Or, or well, we don't know if, we, if you can be a teacher because you believe this because we, we think you're, you, you're kind of nuts or we, we, we think you're not educated. I mean, things have changed and I wonder if it's just getting better at being bad. I don't know. But it says these people were, will go deceiving and being deceived because they're kind of tricked too. So let me wrap this up and, uh, and try to bring it home for, 
Open Bible Community Church and for Grace Church Portland. There's a couple things I see here that, that what it means for us is the first thing is our relationship with truth. When Paul says, you followed my teaching, he wasn't just saying you could have followed any teaching and you just happened to choose me. You know, Christians, we have a lot of good teachers. You can turn on the radio at any time of the day and find a great teacher. And you can go to, a, I guess we don't have Christian bookstores very much anymore. You can go to Amazon. <laughs> you can find great teaching. That's not what Paul's saying. He's saying out of all of the other philosophies and ideas you could have spent your time with, you, you chose mine and you followed me and you saw what I believe and you saw what I teach. We ourselves today are called by this to build our lives and our faith on the truth. That's why we're always nitpicking about Bible translations and Bibles and what this teaches and all that. It's because it's the truth. It's the only book that God has ever signed off on. It's, the Bible is the only book that we would say is inspired. But by that we mean this, when it was spoken by God into whoever wrote it, uh, they wrote down precisely what he wanted them to write down. And despite thousands of years of translations and, and the expected goofs and gaffes that happen along the way, uh, primarily the whole text is staying pretty, what, pretty much true, exactly how it was written. Um, we stick to the truth. And we follow leaders who believe in the truth. And we raise our children to believe in the truth. And we speak truth. Truth has a big deal to do with Christianity. It is not a faith of, 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 of smoke and mirrors. We're not trying to trick anybody with the illusion of power that we don't have. We're presenting the truth to the conscience of people. And we, and we live by that truth, taking personal responsibility uh, to grow in it by hearing somebody teach it, by reading it, by taking it in, however you get it on the radio or the television. But putting the Bible uh, front and center, and this is written by guy that wrote most of the New Testament. So we need to be a people of truth. And then secondly, we, uh, we must be a people of integrity, practical integrity. I don't simply mean a people who believes it's important to keep your word. No, we have to keep our word. See what I mean? I think it's important that people keep their word if they give me their word. But I need to be a man who keeps his word. I have to be a man of integrity who keeps his promises in how I speak and how I act. That's what all those things were that I read that Paul said Timothy had followed. My example, my goals, my patience, and, and all of that. Um, and I need to work on being a person of, of integrity and character at home and uh, at church and around my friends and how I speak to my family I need to have integrity and character. This is hard. I have to have integrity and character for what I say when I'm in the car driving home from church. Woo! <laughs> That's when I think some of the, mo the, the most clear theology is taught to the other people in the car is in the car driving home from religious things. While you're there, we're all on our best behavior, but it's when you're driving home that you're going, wow, I don't know where she got that. You know, and That's where it comes out. But I need to be and we need to be people of integrity and truth and love in those times too. And finally, I see here uh, opposition. 
It appears that opposition is part of my faith. Now, it doesn't mean I try to get in trouble. It doesn't mean I want to suffer. Paul ran out of just as many cities as he stayed in. You know, um, no. But there is a spiritual war unleashed over a man or a woman, a child, who decides to follow Jesus Christ and live in a relationship with Christ, not leaving this world, being in this world. Uh, just digging in and not leaving where God puts you until God moves you. And that will bring opposition. And, uh, and those are the things that I see. So just to wrap this up, the big idea is Christians live according to the truth. And we live applying that truth in the form of character and integrity, in, in, in seeking to speak and to be a people of, uh, of, of character. And finally, uh, we suffer for that truth. We don't run away. And we even, if I can say this without, without goading anybody into looking for a fight, we even expect to be opposed when we, when we venture out into this beloved world that's so messed up, but we venture into it as Christians, living in Christ, and yet clearly being in this world. Please pray with me. <clears throat> gracious, gracious Father, now the words have been said, and we've put them out there, and now you do your work. We ask for your spirit to craft them, open our minds and our hearts, use them, and actually form character in us. And whatever opposition comes our way, O King, let it be because we stand for you and love you. We ask these things in your blessed name. Amen. do uh, just one more song before as we uh, we're wrapping up today and uh, and oftentimes I'm really grateful that even though I don't necessarily know the intricacies of um, what the message will be in a given day that God somehow decides what the songs are going to be and and how they will they will work and I, I feel this song speaks a lot to uh, what Ken was just sharing with us Ken up uh, uh, one more time as uh, we're just wrapping up the service. Uh, I want to say um, thank you for being here. I think we're all grateful uh, for, for his message this morning. Uh, for those of you present here in this building and, and those of you who are online, thank you for being here with us. Thank you for um, being part of this community. Um, thank you for hearing these words and being those vulnerable leaders full of integrity that are representing our God of love and trusting in him that he will use you as you do so. Um, so have a great week. Uh, we'll look forward to uh, seeing you next week. Pastor Brian will be back next week. Uh, make sure that uh, you sign up as you do so. And remember that on Tuesday, it's Sharon's birthday. <laughs> have a great Sunday. Take care.